0: family my name is Jordan and here's what's happening on the hill for those visiting in person today feel free to stop by our I'm new wall located in the lobby you can connect with us there and get any questions answered that you may have ready fest is happening next week this is a great opportunity to help our community of kids as they prepare for the school year we have a link to sign up on our Facebook and website SCC kids is hosting a summer block party Join us on the front patio to celebrate the end of summer. It's a great chance to hang out and meet other families. Rock the Hill is Saturday, August 5th. This is our annual outdoor picnic and worship service. The fun will start at 4 p.m. with kids-friendly games, a meal at 5.30, followed by our worship service at 7. This will be a great opportunity to invite a friend. Volunteers needed! We're looking for a few more good people to plug in to one of these areas of ministry. If you're looking to help, please see one of our staff members after service or stop by our I'm new
1: Hey, good morning, church family. So glad you're here this morning. We stand to your feet. We're getting ready to worship the Lord in song. I uh, just want to just add to that last, if you are interested, if you've been feeling like you need to help out in some way, we actually have some sign-up sheets right back there by our picture wall this morning so you can get back there and sign up for something if God's got it on your heart to do so. But we just want to just come before him today and worship the Lord. Amen. Amen.
2: that surrounds me Just one word The darkness has to retreat And And makes some way. There's nothing that I gotta do. Oh. You believe for greater things this morning. We call on the name of the Lord. He will be there. Say I will believe. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Greater things, there's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise, let all agree. There's no power like his power. There's nothing that I can do. There's not a mountain that he can move. Go oh, praise the name that makes the way. There's nothing that I got. Not a prison wall he can't break through. Oh, praise the name that makes so video.
3: So one of the um, opportunities and privileges we have uh, with being a part of a a church like Shelby Christian is we get to see God um, move, not just here in our local community, right, but all over the world. And so we wanted to highlight one of our uh, together partners this morning for you guys and let you hear a little bit uh, more about what God's doing on another uh, continent. And so this is Linda Jones, and she's going to share with you guys uh, just a little bit about what's going on in Uganda, um, and then we'll continue on with our service. So, welcome, Linda.
4: Thank you. Thanks. First of all, a lot of people ask me why Uganda? How did you get um, started there? Probably eight and a half years ago, our youngest daughter had moved over there to serve in an, another ministry for several months. And so Dave and I, trying to be good parents, we went over in, to visit her and to make sure she was safe to see how she was doing. Um, at that time, we went and visited another ministry in another town, that um, Bay Cottage Ministries, that at that time was just... a uh, a small girl's home. They had 24 girls in a very small home. Um, but I fell in love. I fell in love with the ministry. I fell in love with the girls in the home. I fell in love with Uganda. Uh, and if you can ask my husband, he can tell you, you know, that's all I talked about. Mm-hmm. Still talk about eight and a half years later. Uh, I still, I go over there probably three times a year still. Um, and I've been doing that uh, since that first visit. After that first visit, I think I was back in three months. And so, God just changed my heart. Um, it, it, the whole thing just changed my life. At that time, um, probably a few visits later, maybe a year later, um, I had gone back over there. Linda Johnson from here had also gone over with me. And Daniel, the director, had shared his vision for um, a larger girls' home to be built, so that they could take in more girls, as well as a school to be built in Wachocola Village. They had someone had already purchased the land, so they had that. And so on the way home, her and I were both like, "On the, it's a, let's just say it's a very long flight. It takes about 28 hours to get there and to get home." Uh, we were, we both talked like we've got to do something, and so before we knew it, uh, we were raising funds to build a school to build a new girls' home. At that time, we, you know, in my brain, I'm thinking, okay, a a school building, you know, that's manageable, it's not very big, eight, you know, nine classrooms, and we can do that. Um, but we also had, of course, to have desks. We had to have supplies. We had to have a well dug, which was quite costly. Um, we had to have latrines for the girls and the boys. We uh, had to get uh, women's and men's teachers' bathrooms. We had to have a pavilion uh, built so that the kids could eat under. We had to have a kitchen built uh, and a storage room. And so this one little... Well, you know, what I thought was going to be eight or nine classrooms uh, ended up being a larger project than I had anticipated. So I'm glad the Lord did not give it all to me at that time uh, because I would have, I would have ran. <laughs> Plus, we also had to have sponsors for all of these kids, too, because most of these children had never been to school before. They lived in a village where most of the homes are mud huts made out of grass. Uh, it has gotten better since then, but it is a small, uh, small um, poor community, um, where some of them just live off the meager little gardens that they have in their yard. So, uh, a couple years later, uh, well, well, when we did open the school, February 6, 2018, we had about 224, 225 students that first day. We had no doors or windows on um, that school. We had a lot of mud. Uh, when it rains there, it gets muddy. Uh, and so, but we opened. We opened, and it was such an incredible moment. Fast forward to today, we have 454 nursery and primary kids in, in the school. We do have windows and doors. We, uh, since then, we have been able to build um, a small library, a couple of offices. We had to build a couple more nursery uh, classroom buildings because we found out that the government then said they couldn't be in with the primary. So those had to be built. We have sidewalks and grass. And so it, it looks night and day from uh, what it looked like in the beginning, that's for sure. We've had um, uh, over 100 children and adults accept the Lord from this school since then, with 31 of those. Yeah, praise God. Uh, He he just moves mountains, that is for sure. And uh, 31 of those was a couple of weeks ago. And I think a lot of y'all probably saw a little something on that on the screen when that right after that it happened. So, and some of the things we do, um, during during down times when there's drought and things like that, we have done uh, food distributions through donations. And uh, many of y'all have been so, so generous with that when we've needed, and there's always a need that I'm uh, posting, uh, and so many people are so generous with that. During and so we do uh, do food distributions. We've done several during COVID. We had we did a couple of them because during COVID they had two lockdowns uh, where people couldn't work. One of the lockdowns they couldn't even be on the roads. Um, vehicles could not be on the road except for what they call boda bodas, which are motorcycle uh, taxis. Um, and so uh, we did that. We did a few distribution in one of the slums who were literally without food and no gardens. And so we did that one as well. The, the last one we did, I happened to be over there, which was a blessing. And right before I had gone, uh, someone from a member of the church had donated money for every family in the village to have a Bible. And so during that... Uh, food distribution as they were just coming out of COVID and still in dire need um, we were at the end of one day of giving out food and one of the gentlemen who was not a Christian said if you cannot give me food today would you please give me a Bible so they are hungry for the word we do have a uh, pastor we do have a small church that does meet at the school as as well Um, and we I've taken over the two pastors have gone over with me uh, my brother-in-law and Kevin Comp as well and they have worked with him and mentored him and uh, uh, we've had two men conferences over there as well as two women's conferences of which have changed and a lot of those who have come to those have not been Christian um A lot of the village is not. Uh, So that has, uh, we've seen a difference. We've seen a difference. The Lord is moving over there. We've also have had a couple of dental clinics at the school, which are not free, but there is a uh, dentistry over there that was founded by an American who does give us a a decent price on that. we keep a medical fund for the kids in the school. We, our second year of school, we lost a couple of children who had died from things that we could have taken care of if we would have known. And by the time we found out, it was too late. So we do keep a medical fund um, for those uh, cases where the parents cannot afford to take their child to a doctor. We can help with that. Malaria is a huge issue over there. Uh, needless to say you know the other day they were talking about six cases in the US you know I can tell you six people that have it right now Um, at our school it's not uncommon for five to ten kids to be tested positive during a day Uh, that's how prevalent it is Uh, during this last trip a, a few weeks ago I think we've been back two weeks I've been back two weeks um, we did give out 300 mosquito nets. Uh, although we have more students than that, uh, a lot of them share mats or whatever. So we, we gave out 300 of those. Um, we gave out toothbrushes and toothpaste, uh, soap. We gave out panties. I know mean, we think panties, but it's a luxury to have a pair of panties over there. Uh, I'm just trying to think what else we gave out. It was just, um, we gave out even water bottles to some kids who have an illness that need to be drinking water. We had a chicken and rice day, and you think, oh, big deal, but chicken and rice is reserved for Christmas Day. Uh, the kids eat porridge for breakfast uh, at the school every day. If they're at home, that's what they would have, and it's a thin. Uh, corn flour that's boiled. So they have that. For lunch at school, they have pocho and beans, which is a thicker corn flour. And if they go home, if they happen to have something to eat, it would be pocho again. So, if you, they live on pocho and beans. And let me tell you, if you eat it for two days, you're thinking, it's sitting like a rock on your stomach. (laughs) But The third day, I'm taking a peanut butter and jelly sandwich out of school because it's You can only eat so much, but they eat it every day. So to have chicken and rice is a huge deal. We also gave out apples to every student uh, as a treat. And they probably haven't had an apple since the last time I did it. Uh, We do give out, uh, through extra donations, a a whole boiled egg twice a week as well. And we also give out vitamins a couple times a week, too, to help with those extra nutrition. Uh, one of our things, we do have a secondary school um, that we started a year before COVID hit. During COVID, school was closed over there for two years. It has been a struggle since day one of keeping it open because there's 10 classes. Each student has 10 classes. And so we have a lot of finances with that. And so we are looking for someone, a couple corporations, what have you, that would want to maybe help monthly towards that. So if you are interested, you can see me outside later. Also, we need sponsors for these students. We still have probably 70 kids that need sponsored uh, to help pay for their school fees, and that is $20 a month. Uh, And so I do have pictures and everything out there today as well. And the last thing, one of our huge needs right now that we have is solar for our primary school. Um, It's running up, it's gonna run about $9,000 and I already have $5,000 that someone has donated towards that, Um, because the classrooms get dark. It does rain. Uganda is not like an African plain. It is green and we do get rain. We have rainy seasons Uh, and so we desperately need solar. We need lights. We need lights for our classrooms, and so anyway, I thank you all for uh, sponsoring. Many of you all do, and who have, have helped this school to become what it is. To who you know contributed for every door, every window, uh, and I thank you for that.
3: Let's uh, let's pray for uh. For our friends in Uganda and then we we'll the continue with our service. God, we thank you so much uh, for what you're doing. Uh, God, we thank you for the things that we can see, the, the physical needs that are met, but also, God, for the spiritual uh, needs that you meet every single day uh, with these students and teachers and family members, um, in Uganda. And God, we just thank you that we can celebrate 31 souls in the last couple of weeks that, uh, heard the gospel message and responded to that and said that they wanted to give themselves, uh, to you to walk in the ways of your son. And so we celebrate that. We thank you for that. We thank you for what Linda and, and those that go over are able to do on a regular basis uh, here in Uganda. God, we love you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. We have a time in service where we uh, just come together. We bring our tithes and offerings to the Lord, and we take a moment to break bread together and just have communion together. But just know this is one of the ministries that you support every week, every year. And uh, God's doing amazing things with the things that you, you offer up as an offering and uh, as a gift i just want to read in timothy real quick It says in timothy 6 it says teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money which is so unreliable their trust should be in god who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment tell them to use their money to do good they should be rich in good works and generous in those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. And Jesus gives us true life this morning. Amen. As we come together and we break bread together, let's just thank him for that true life that he's given us through his son, Jesus. And let us remember what sacrifice he gave. And not only that, but as we partake of that little piece of bread that represents his body and that little cup of juice, that we just signify that his contract with us is good. It remains faithful. God never changes. So will you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for giving us life, for breath in our lungs, God. Thank you for giving us a means, Lord, that we can live in this world, and earn, uh, and have. Lord, you provide all. And so we thank you today, and we give you praise. We just want to lift your name high. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
2: so thankful we can be in your house and be in your presence and hear from you. And today we surrender our hearts to you and ask that you speak to us as, as the message is brought forth today. God, let it be something that just sinks in and, and, and lands on good soil. God, we give ourselves to you. We give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
5: Stories are the language of the soul. They have a way of penetrating the heart in a way few other influences can. This is why Jesus used storytelling so often to illustrate deeper truths. He knew the power of a story to cut through to the heart. These now famous stories are known as parables. They were Jesus' way to communicate an important kingdom principle in a form that we could remember and that would meet us where we are at. Although the details of these stories were fictitious, the kingdom principles are not Today, they continue to remind us who God is and what He calls us to be a part of and how much He loves us.
3: And so he gave us stories. He gave us uh, stories that we could understand, that we could kind of think about and chew on and contemplate. And we've been looking over the last three weeks. This is week four of scandalous stories. We're going to look at one more today. This is probably the most scandalous story that Jesus ever told. It's a story that's going to be familiar to a lot of you. You've heard this story before if you've been in church. But today our goal, my goal, excuse me, is to allow you to see this story Maybe from a different perspective. That, that's the intent of, of this morning and the rest of the time that we have together. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be there. We're going to read this story. And this is a, a very interesting story. Like I said, it is one that Jesus... When he, Jesus tells this story and tells this parable, um, he really ticks some people off, as he tends to do uh, when he preaches and teaches. And so I want you guys to look at this story with me. Here's what happens. It is one day... An expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. So, so uh, this is a lawyer type person. Right? This is someone who, an expert, the Bible says, Luke says, in religious law. And, and he stands up to test. So we know right off the bat what his intentions are. These are not good, sincere intentions just about asking Jesus a question. He's looking to trap Jesus. He's looking to trick Jesus. He's looking to get Jesus to say something that he can kind of pounce on. So he says, it says uh, to test Jesus by asking him this question. And so he says, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered this way, he said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus said, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus this, and who is my neighbor? Here you've got a guy who stands up in front of Jesus, he thinks he's got it all figured out. He wants to see if Jesus will answer this question the way he knows it's supposed to be answered. He wants to justify his own actions. He wants to see, hey, I'm going to ask this question. I know the answer. Let's just see if Jesus gets it right. Right? That's what's going on here. And so in that, the context of, of this... Jesus starts to tell this story that we're going to look at this morning. He's going to address this question and he's going to address so much more because apparently this, this guy thought that he was doing well. He thought that he was doing well and loving God. He thought that he was doing well and loving others and loving his neighbors, right? He, he thought he had had all this figured out and it was good. And then Jesus comes along and tells a parable like Jesus does. And he's going he's gonna to up the ante. He, he's going he's gonna to change the way that people thought about who your neighbor is and how you should love them and those kind of things. His teaching here is going to take things not just a step or two farther, but way, way farther because Jesus was a, was a guy who would say things like this. Look at this next passage of Scripture. It went to, from time to time, when Jesus would preach, uh, this is from the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon. He, he would say things like this. He would say, you've heard that it was said... You have heard that the law says this, right? So who's the law? These these religious experts, these lawyers. You've heard these guys stand up and and say this, and he'd say, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. But then he says, Jesus comes along and says, but I say to you, you've heard this this thing said, you've been taught this your whole life, (laughs) but I come and I say this to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so when people would hear this, well, we've been taught, we know who our neighbors are, right? It's, it's the other, the Jewish people would, be, would think, well, it's other Jews in, the, in our community, in our neighborhood. It's other people who look like us and think like us and raise their kids like we raise our kids and go to the same synagogue that we go to and we see them at the temple and we see them in the market and we see them in the city in Jerusalem. And so those... Are our neighbors, and we, yeah, we, we get along with people in our community, and Jesus comes along and says, uh uh uh. Good. Keep doing that. B- but here's what I need you to, to understand take this farther. Love people that don't look like you. Love people that, that live different lives than you live, that think differently than you think, that, that may persecute you, that may harm you, that, that may be considered, that you may consider them. Your enemies. And and when this tough teaching is said, when Jesus says it, it's like, whoa, whoa, we can't can't handle that, right? And, And so Jesus wants to share with them who a real neighbor is and what it looks like with a neighbor to love them with compassion, even though we may be from different sides of the track, even though we may be from different parts of the country. We're going to look at that here in a second. So Jesus, he tells this story. Look at this story. He says this. He says, uh, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. They left him half dead beside the road. And by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed on the other side of the road and passed him by. Next verse. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he was also passed by on the other side. Then a despised, look at this, a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to the inn there where he took care of him. And then Jesus finishes the story like this. He says, the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay it the next time I'm here. And then he says, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And Jesus asked. And the man replied, well, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now you go and do the same thing. Now, when we read this story, right, we see this phrase, despise Samaritan. It, well, there, there's, you need to understand a little context there, right? Because when we think about Samaritans, you hear the word Samaritan, we think it's a good connotation, right? It's a good thought. We have, you know, a good, a good Samaritan laws. We have, you know, a good Samaritan hospital, Samaritan's Purse, which uh, the organization that the Franklin Graham's family runs that does all kinds of good things all over the world. So when we hear the word Samaritan, it's like, oh, it's this good thing, right? You see a, an article or a story online of someone who stops and helps someone on the side of the road, right? A good Samaritan stopped, right? We we know that phrase. You've heard that phrase before. And so we think good things. But in first century Jerusalem, when Jesus would have been telling this story to a Jewish audience, and, and, and the, the hero of the story is a Samaritan, it is... It is kind of the, the equivalent of... And, and go with me here for a second. It's the equivalent of... Because you, got, you, you need to understand how much they hated one another, okay? And, and we're going to talk a little bit about why. But it's, it's a, kind of the, the same thing as a picture 1945-ish, 1950-ish. If, if somebody's telling this story to, to Jews in Europe. And the hero of the story is a Nazi soldier. Right? Right? That's as deep, that's as dark as this relationship between Jews and Samaritans went. So here's a little background. The, the, the Samaritans lived in the north. There's a map here. We'll show you this map. There, the, the Samaritans lived uh, in, in the north, in Samaria. The, 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 the people of Israel were now divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, okay? And Samaria was the capital city in the north, and so these were Samaritans. And, and what happens over time is in Samaria in the north um, other uh, Assyrians and other groups of people would come and invade and would rob and pillage and infiltrate the northern kingdom. And so over time, uh, different uh, foreign foreigners would come and, and then a lot of them would stay there. And so it wasn't just Jewish people anymore, it was people from all other parts of the world. And after time, over time, they would start to intermingle and intermarry. And so, so there's this different thing that's going on in the north. Now in the south, in Jerusalem, in, in, in Judah, they didn't do that. They kind of drew this line right there and said, "Okay, you got to stay up in the north in Samaria. You Samaritans, you're you're half-breeds. You're dogs." They would say Samaria, you, it's heresy up there because what they were teaching and preaching and doing in the north, the Jews in the south thought wasn't the same. It wasn't it wasn't pure. It wasn't right. They held on in the south to the city where where you were supposed to worship in Jerusalem. They held on to the teachings of Moses tightly and closely. In Samaria, in the north, things were a little looser, right? Things were kind of a little, so a little, a, a little more kind of went on up there than was allowed in the south. And so over time, these two groups of people, right, they, they hate each other. The Jews in the south, look at those in the north from Samaria. If you were from, from Samaria, it was like you didn't even, like you didn't even deserve to breathe. You weren't even human, right? And so this is what's going on. There's a story in the New Testament about Jesus and the woman at the well, and she's a Samaritan, and there's conversation that Jesus has with her, and she has this shock, If you remember this story, she has this shock on her face, like, I can't believe you, a Jew, would even talk to me, a Samaritan woman, right? And so Jesus tells this story, and his, his, his listeners would have been like, there's nothing good in Samaria, Jesus, how can a Samaritan be good? In fact, he's not just telling it to, to the audience. His disciples, back in Luke chapter 9, the disciples go through the Samaritan village and they don't have a very good interaction. And, and they get ticked off. And they go up to Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, can we call down fire from heaven to destroy this village? And Jesus is like, no, hold on, guys. Let's not, let's not do that, right? And, but this is, this is who even Jesus' disciples were. They grew up in a place where we, we hate Samaritans. And they weren't. They hadn't gotten all that out of their system yet. And so they're walking around going, Jesus, you're going to tell this story and a Samaritan is going to be the hero of the story? And that's exactly what Jesus does in this story. He, he tells a story about a guy who, who didn't have anything to gain, who had everything to lose, but he stops and he helps in the middle of the road. Now let's talk about um, uh, a little bit more about what's happening here because on the surface level, right? On the surface level, you can read this parable and you can, you can be like, okay, got it. Somebody's hurt, somebody needs help, somebody, you know, if you've ever done this before, this has happened to me like two or three times. You've been the first one up, uh, you know, you're kind of driving along and, you, and there's a, a wreck in front of you and you're the first one on the scene Right? And the first thing you do, you just call 911, and then you get out of your car, and you go see if you can help. Like, I've got two or three stories that are crazy. Well, I don't know why this keeps happening to me, but I'll roll up on a scene, and I'm the first one on the scene of this accident. Maybe this has happened to you before. And the natural thing for anyone to do is to feel, how can I help, right? What can I do to help in this situation? Christian or non-Christian, it's the thing to do. So the application, the simple, like, kind of surface level application here is, yeah, we should we should be a good neighbor and we should help folks when they're in need. Got it, Jesus. But Jesus was always after something a little deeper. Or maybe a lot deeper. Look, look at what Jesus says. This is what he would say from time to time when he would describe Satan. Actually, let's talk about this first. The, the, this road that... Um, that they're traveling, that Jesus is describing in Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho, this is called the way of blood. And so this man that's traveling this road knows that this road is very dangerous. It's very treacherous. It's a known place. Like if, if they, if he would say, we're going to go from Jericho to Jerusalem, away from, from Jerusalem, the safety of Jerusalem. So if you're a Jewish person and you're traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, notice you're going out of the southern kingdom, up into the edge of the northern kingdom. So this is not a safe place. And so when Jesus tells the story about this man traveling there, there, there's something a little bit deeper. I want you to look at this next passage of Scripture. Jesus would say things like this from time to time. He would describe Satan this way. He would say, in John chapter 8, he says, Satan is a murderer from the very beginning. He, He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When, when he lies it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of all lies And then jesus said this another in john chapter 10 about satan as well He said satan is also a thief who comes to steal kill and destroy. So what jesus believed About satan and knew about satan and, and taught about satan was that he wants to destroy your life He wants to to destroy your life not just physically but spiritually, there is a thief, there is a murderer, there is a liar, there is one who comes to, to steal and destroy you and your marriage and your family and your kids and your community and your country. There is a thief and his name is Satan. And so Jesus over, over and over, he warns us, he warns people about this thief that wants to destroy. And so what if, what if this, what if the man traveling this road called the way of the blood, way of blood what if this is more than just a character in a parable what if what if Jesus is warning us what if he's warning us about traveling the wrong direction be in some place you're not supposed to be you ever you ever had that scenario kind of play out in your life where you've got a decision to make like I can take this path or I can take this path. And if I go down this path with these people tonight, it's Friday night, you're in high school, you're in college, you're hanging out with your friends, and you know if I go with this group of people, it's not probably gonna end well, right? Something's gonna happen. Or you can say, no, you know what? I think i want to make a different choice. We, we have to make those choices all the time. You, you have to make choices all the time. Should I do this or should I do that? Is this going to lead to life? Is this going to better my life? Is this the way that the Lord would have me to go? Or is this going to lead to destruction? And so what if Jesus in this parable is doing something a little bit deeper? What if he's saying? What if he's warning us? Don't go that way. You'll regret it. Stay away from that. But sometimes we don't listen. Sometimes we go that way. Anyway, there's one more thing to say about the, the, the Levite and the temple, the temple uh, priest here. They, they pass on by. And so Jesus tells this story and in the parable, right? These are the guys that the, the Jews would expect. These are the guys that should help. And they don't. They're the ones that, 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 that everyone, will, yeah, those are good guys. Why didn't they help? Well, there's all these things. It's messy. It's going to be expensive. We're on this dangerous road. They're, 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 Jew, they're Jewish priests, and so they've taken this vow of cleanliness, and, they're, and if they touch a dead body, they have to go through this whole ceremonial thing of, 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 of getting clean again, and so they're like, if we go over and this guy's actually dead and we touch it, now we've got a big mess on our hands, literally and figuratively, right? And so they just avoid the whole situation because they don't want to be bothered. And so what if for us... When Jesus tells this story, he's simultaneously kind of doing two things. He's saying, you know what? Sometimes you're the the nameless guy in the ditch, right? And you need help. Sometimes you're the one that passes by. You're you're the one that passes by on the other side. Because, man, it's going to take time. I don't have, I don't have, it's gonna get messy to help someone else out. This is gonna be a big ordeal. So let's just kind of ignore it. Let's just kind of go over here and go along on our way, right? And so what if Jesus in the story is sharing this with us? What if he's explaining to us a couple of kingdom principles that are are really profound? Look at this first one. What if he's saying this? Sin has left us for dead on the dangerous road away from God. But God himself will travel that road to rescue and save us. He pays for everything with his blood and he promised to return for all that he has rescued. What if if this is what Jesus wanted us to get out of the story of the Good Samaritan? Look at the next one. He comes to us overwhelmed with compassion. He binds our wounds and he carries us to the end of the church. What if, what if in the story of the Good Samaritan, what if Jesus all along was the Good Samaritan? What if Jesus is trying to show the here, his audience, us? You know, the guy that they despise, the guy that they hate, the guy that they don't understand, the guy that would, would, would be just ridiculed and persecuted if he were in Jerusalem because of where he comes from, right? And then Jesus says, Oh I am that good Samaritan. I am the, the hero. Jesus, God is the hero of the story. It's not us. It's not a Samaritan. It's this picture of a God who would save us in the middle of the ditch. When we're lost and hopeless and helpless. And then Jesus says this last thing. He says, Now, now with this loving your neighbor thing, he says, Now you go, now you go and you do the same thing. You go and you live your life the same way. And so for us, here's the here's the conclusion of this. Jesus, what have you done? How have you lived? What have you shown us? You you go. You, you look for opportunities to help others. You bring them. Remember the story we talked about last week with Desmond Doss? You bring them back to safety, to the church, to those who can help, who those can, can, can point them back to the sun. You, you do everything you can to be on a rescue mission. Why? Why go and do the same thing that I've just shown you here? Because the same thing has happened for you and for me. Jesus was that good Samaritan. And when I couldn't help myself, when, when my sin had destroyed my life and put this vast chasm between me and God, what the Bible says is that the only way that we can get back to God, the only way we can get back to heaven, the only chance we have is through Jesus. And so Jesus comes along. He comes the path. He's willing to travel the way of blood for you and for me. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning in this service to sing praises of worship to you, to hear about what you're doing all over the world, to hear your word proclaimed, to know that that we sometimes we miss it sometimes we miss the story sometimes we miss the point sometimes we we want to make it this cute little thing that we can just kind of tuck in our pocket and walk out with but God you are doing so much more so much deeper and so God you come along and you tell these scandalous stories that disrupt that penetrate that put us on edge it confused us sometimes. But God, you're after a heart. And, and God, I thank you that you continue to passionately pursue your people. You run after us. You'll go to the end of the earth. You'll travel the way of blood. Even though it's dangerous and could lead to death. You did that. You went to the cross a bloody cross for each and every person in this room today wow what a crazy story what a scandalous story God may we be people who go and tell that story the rest of our lives we love you we thank you for Jesus it's his name I pray amen Would you guys stand with me let's sing this last song got a decision to make if you want to pray with someone bobby and some other folks will be over our decision area let's uh let's sing said she has 70 students 70 kids that they would love to get sponsored by the end of the summer let's make that happen today it's 20 bucks a month it's like one less pizza a month for you and like if you're like me you can do you can afford to eat one less pizza a a month right so go out there and see her at that table let's get out of here let's go love god and love people and watch him change this world